Hello, and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. First off, I wanted to say hi to Stella and her mom. Good luck with math, Stella. I hope you do great. You're going to do great. I don't hope. I know. I know you're going to do great. I failed algebra twice, so I can relate to the struggle. Also, May 30th will be the show's three-year anniversary, so happy anniversary to all of us. I hope you're having an incredible week. If not, then I just know it's going to get better starting this weekend, if even in a small way. And if you are one of the unlucky among us not having a good week, let me take you away to somewhere scary. This week, I have a story for you from a new author to the show, Charlotte Steinecke. This story is so unique and one of the most interesting twists I've ever seen on an existing story. If you are a fan of the frightening fairy tales episode, you're going to love this. Charlotte gives us the horrifying yet captivating behind the scenes of the Pied Piper in this week's story, Easily Led. By the time I could stop for breath, the other children were dead. I knew at the moment I heard the river whispering through the white birches. The clapping hands had gone quiet long before the trill of the pipe faltered and fell. And in the silence before the birds came back, I stood, gasping, and listened for death as it stood on the other side of the river and shuffled the other children away. Then I listened to her, listening for me. The thump of my crutch announced my presence minutes before I appeared. But when the music stopped, so had I. She waited for a moment or two, and when she became impatient, She played a wilting tune. It pulled me forward, pouring into my lungs, dragging through the last meters of the underbrush towards her, my body lurching to her rhythm like a pendulum, swinging out of the woods. When she had come to our town for the first time, the piper's costume had been all pied, the threadbare, shiny scraps of all-colored fabric had caught the imagination of every child, and we'd thought, at first, that she was a clown. Now she wore green, like a hunter, and her dress was as bright as an eye. She stood on the bank of the river, holding the pipe at her side. Beyond her, little hats and shoes were beginning to bob to the surface of the waves where the current carried them down and out of sight. Standing before her, I fastened my eyes on the pipe in her hands and rasped for breath. Miller, who was deaf, had stayed behind in town, 
I'd lost Liesel, who was blind, long before we stepped into the woods. She wasn't fast, but she could hear, and she could follow. Now, there was only me. The scrapes and welts from my rush through the trees began to ache, but I kept my hand clenched on my crutch. The birds began to sing, somewhere away in the woods. Something wrong with your leg, then? She asked. I hadn't heard her speak yet. She sounded so much like a person. I, I have the rock. They're all... I choked. They're all in there? Oh, yes. Are you going to... I felt her gaze run down and back up, scrutinizing and deciding. I kept my eyes on the pipe in her hand, watching her turn the instrument around and around in her fingers. Should I? She asked. Would you like me to? No. I rasped. Please don't. The pipe stopped turning. My tutelage began. The piper stuck to villages, always en route to a bigger town or city. Wilderness had nothing to offer either of us, although it was harder on me than on her. We worked along trade routes, long established, zigzagging up and back across packed dirt roads, and heading over towards the east. She played human music, at first, like anything the minstrels on the road would know. Ballads she didn't sing the words to. Love songs she didn't seem to understand. My task was to totter back and forth across the edge of the crowds, shaking my cap at the end of each song to collect their pennies. At the end of a day in a town square, there was usually enough money for me to buy a meal. The piper was never hungry. She liked the feeling of coins in her hands, and often I'd see her turning a coin over and over in her fingers when I bedded down her eyes shining as bright and flat as her wages. Along the way, we learned of villages in need of curing. Some wanted vermin exterminated, some wanted dancing plagues bedded down, and some dozed under a sleeping sickness, letting fields for miles around lie fallow. Buboes the size of small dogs tormented the bodies of burghers while elsewhere children came out of their mothers with limbs like limp rope, or horses ate each other and died in froths of foaming green spittle. Once the piper heard of any plague town, anywhere, however far out of our ostensible way, she'd take the quickest route there. Our path would not have been straighter if she could fly. Through the woods and across rivers and over gullies she would go, eager to waste not one step until she arrived in the village. And the devil could take me if I could not keep up. I could not, and she nearly lost me a thousand times in the effort. But never quite. 
She couldn't lose me. I would have followed her wherever she went. It was only in Plague Towns that the Piper would play her real music. My blood remembered it, moved for it. I thought that if I tried to withhold her music from it, my blood would stand stone still and starve my bones. I had no choice but to follow, fast as I could, hurting myself by hurtling through the woods after her. When the Piper arrived in a plague town, she set about a fast negotiation with the mayor and made impossible promises in exchange for impossible fees. The magistrate almost always agreed, haggard and three-quarter way starved as he invariably was, and the Piper would prepare for the concert. She shed the green traveling dress and put on the pied costume, looking like a strange jewel, many-colored and shining. If her human music was mechanically perfect, it was also mechanically boring. In places where meat festered in the butcher's shop and the rivers ran with disease, she could find an audience that called forth the other music. The sound of the pipe peeled an atmosphere off of the world. In the grip of her music, the ground seemed to float higher and higher until the villagers were dizzy and bubble-blooded with delight, their lungs full of reaspirated sound. The music flowed through the streets, turning every metal to gold in the eyes of a listener, every color to the first fragile shades of new spring. Sleepers waked, and statues sang, and if she ever played at night, the music kept the village up, rhapsodic and silent and still in their beds. The flute made the air shimmer like a thousand veils of scattered light. It held everything still, except for the true audience, which came rushing out of bolt holes and old walls and pilfered cupboards to find the piper. Rats danced in the piper's footsteps. Locusts swung and floated behind her like a banner, singing to her song. Things less identifiable would come to listen and adore. Pollution seeping out of houses and orifices to heap at her feet in a slimy mass, rippling with her rhythm and tumbling away with her as she passed out of the gates of the village. It never failed. She cleaned each place of everything that had been killing it. And when the killer was gone, the music was, too. In the aftermath, we faced the difficult question of money. Sometimes the village paid in full, but more often, when the time came to pay, the piper's eyes again looked empty, and the full splendor of the music had faded into the humid gray swamp of the mayor's memory. She must have looked like an exterminator, and a fraudulent one at that. It was useless to beg her for mercy. I tried, at first, terrified of the sights I would have to see, terrified that she would not stop playing in time, now and that I would die with the rest of them. She stroked her fingers through my hair and rapped out a laugh 
Go to the hills then, she would say, and wait until I come to get you. You'll be out of earshot there. Please, they're just children. If I haven't been paid, I haven't finished the job, the piper said, her face vulpine and sly. Her hands would be restless on the pipe, fingers ticking back and forth, eager to resume their places. They didn't tell me to stop. They want me to do the whole place. Carriers, disease, and hosts. The piper didn't always take the town's children to a river. Sometimes it was into a ravine or a mud pit. Once a swamp. The piper would lead them dancing and clapping into the wild blue woods while I watched from a safe distance. The breeze-borne scraps of unearthly music just enough to keep me still and silent as the little bodies plummeted to earth or suffocated under dirt or whimpered in a dark cave blocked up with old stones. My blood would lean so hard against my skin I could not stand. Then we left, and our lives became ordinary again. We walked from village to village, listening for any word of epidemic, playing her dead-eyed music and shaking coins in my cap. Some days, even beyond the days in plague towns, were worse than others. Once a week, we took our bath. The piper made sure to keep us out of villages on those days, far away from any peering eyes. And after a complaint from me, we always waited until the afternoon to wash, when the sun had warmed the stream. For her part, the piper never minded the cold at all. The green dress never seemed to grow old. But as I grew, I became more aware of how ancient it must have been. Under the unflinching sunlight, it was worn and frayed, riddled with wrenched seams and gaps of lost cording. When it was time to wash, the piper shed her green dress like a beetle shedding its shell, cracking herself out with a flex of her long spine and slipping her limbs out of the fabric once her back was free. Then she would walk into the water, where the stream would lick her and draw back tongues of water coated with foam of scum. The waves turned iridescent when they touched her skin, and the sunshine, the many boils on the piper's body glistened like smooth red and violet stones, clinging to her protuberant ribs, piling up across her chest. Her arms and legs were swarming with sores. Her thin white hands and feet were wasted to bones in their nakedness. Well, she said one day, looking back at me as I paused on the bank, tendons locked with abhorrence. Her tongue was 
black. Come in. I, I don't want to bathe with you. But I stripped down and walked towards her before she could whistle the trill to summon me forward. The scum began to slither up on my skin. No? You're sick? Look at you. I know. Look at me. The piper reached out with her withered fingers and brought me closer. She lifted up a handful of water and pressed it against my face, rubbing away the dirt of the road with water that smelled like an open wound. It was how she always smelled. We'll have to find a cure, she said. Now wash. During the week, I bled for the first time. We stopped to wash out of schedule. The piper left me at camp to sit and ooze while she played like a beggar in a city nearby. When she returned, she carried food for me and a violin whose cinnabar body burned in the firelight. She passed the instrument into my hands and made me pluck the strings. What do you think? Do you like the sound? She asked. My own opinions made me uneasy. Necessities of feeding and washing and sleeping were matters she would bend on, but she had never solicited thoughts on topics of my wants and wishes. I didn't like the sound, not in the way she seemed to mean. I only craved the noise of her pipe. Her music peeled open the world and made it glorious. It would pull me out of my grave if I could hear it clearly enough. What was a twanging string to do against that? I plucked the string again. It sounded human. My guts throbbed and I wrinkled my nose. Good, the piper said softly, seeming to take this for an answer. That will do then. My lessons began that evening, and found me every evening thereafter. I couldn't manage the crutch and the violin at the same time, so I could only practice when I had leisure enough to sit still. Even sitting, it was difficult to begin. My joints creaked and cracked, and my fingertips felt numb and untethered as I tried to pin down one string after another. Every night was the same, fed and scrubbed of the worst of the road dirt. I sat before my cook fire and pulled the hairs of the bow slowly across the gut strings. There were no books and no pages of notes, just me and the violin and whatever I could remember of the songs the other minstrels had sung. Each evening the piper would sit across from me her back to the river with her chin in her hands and her elbows to her knees. She watched me with eyes that glinted flat in the firelight as I played scales, listening to the voice of the violin, trying to find a trace of the piper's strange music in its hum. 
when I ground out a tune. The trickling notes bumped and stumbled along the packed dirt beach. My rhythms staggered and lurched, the edge of my bow catching out of tempo or a note coming out flat. But the refrains I picked were easy to follow, and I concentrated, pressing hollow fingertips into the strings, listening hard to the shift from one tone to the next. Some, 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 sir, sir. For years it went on. The piper told me what I did wrong at first, but as time passed, she only lowered her eyelids and listened with her head on one side. If she had formed any opinion of my ability, it was disappointment, plain and simple. Some, some, some. I loathed everything about playing. The endless bobbing of my elbow, the ache of clenching the violin beneath my jaw, the rumble of the violin's body made my teeth vibrate. It was an insipid instrument, and I played insipid songs, even as my fingers grew nimbler and my ear more acute. Zum, zum, zum. Finally, more in dread of another tedious night than of inevitable failure, I cast off the human songs, playing from loose-knit memory, a refrain the piper had played for a plague town. That was what I craved, and if I could make it myself. I scraped the bow across my strings, trying to fiddle out the tunes she used, the tones that poured from her instrument. That night, the piper straightened her head back and opened her eyes so wide they looked like coins pushed into her head. No more human songs then. Every practice I sawed away at half-unraveled memories of glinting golden towns and singing statues, of rot rising and dancing to the music. Every night I played what little I could recall in one night. The piper and I looked up. She away from me, and I away from the fire. On the banks of the river, a long silver fish flopped, jigging and bouncing on the yellow dirt. Its scales flickered in the firelight. In my slack fingers, the bow slid limp across the violin strings once more and made a faltering noise, and the fish lurched hard and spat out a fleshy mass, the color of almond meat. The fish gulped and thrashed, wild in the throes of suffocation. The piper let out a hoarse laugh. <gasps> Very good. What will you do with the patient? What? What will you do? Kick it back? Or? Eat it! I stared at the crooked lump lying inches from the fish's mouth. It was rippled like the lobes of a brain and streaked in cold, dark fish blood. I reached out with the foot of my crutch 
and hit the fish hard. The impact threw the fish to the edge of the stream, and there it flipped and tossed twice more before landing in the deeper water and vanishing. Free now to swim back downstream and pick the last of the flesh off of the children the piper had drowned five days before. The piper smiled broadly and with the disease. I don't suppose I can drown it, I grumbled. The piper hummed, thinking musically, but not compelling any obedience, and a string deep inside me that had never been plucked thrummed in response. I'll throw it into the fire before you go to bed, the piper decided. Keep practicing. I slept with the violin in my tent. Sometimes I would roll over at night and see it shimmering in the dark through the cracks in its eyelids as the piper ranged around outside. I never saw her eat and I never saw her sleep. What she did instead, I never learned. As we went south again in the winter, we heard of a village that was wanting a dancing cure. The spider season was hard upon the little hamlet, and people buzzed and flipped all night and all day until they dropped like flies. Like a dart, the piper found our way to the edge of the village, but this time, she stopped on the outskirts. She looked at me. You'll do this one. My mouth went dry. I can't. I can't play and walk. I won't be able to lead the disease away. <laughs> it will walk for you. She said it like I was a fool. I must have seemed like one. She gave me her pied dress and tied me into it. It was as old and as worn as the green dress. The yellows faded into the color of pus. The reds like sores blues like veins. She led me to the mayor's home, arranged for our payment. Less than usual, but I was just an apprentice, and saw that we would have a place for me to sit and the dancers to dance. What if they don't pay? I asked, taking a seat on an overturned crate. The town square was one huge mosaic of a coiled serpent with plenty of tiles loose enough to trip over. The sufferers were being brought out into the sun, moaning and fainting a few streets away. Then, they don't want you to stop playing. I can't lead the children up to the river, I said. I mean, I won't. The piper gave my cheek a pinch. Her fingers smelled like rot. If it comes to that, they will walk for you. Zum, zum, zum. I watched my fingers walk across the violin's neck, and I listened to its voice, and saw the air begin to crinkle and to shine. In my bad leg, I felt a kind of clenching and bunching, the muscles gnarling up around the patch of rot and receding from it as it pulsed. I grimaced, 
but my attention was on the air and the onrushing wave of music. And soon, I forgot. I took a breath and dove in, and when I lifted my head again, the stars had wheeled up into the sky, and the dancers were lit by braziers that depended across the square. The dancing had boiled the disease in its sufferer's skin, and the humid rising smoke of it made the braziers gleam a silvery light down onto the serpent in the square, shining in blood from the tattered feet of the dancers. Some of them had already collapsed, and they lay there, gasping like fish, unable to lift themselves up and crawl back to bed. Their eyes were bright and wet under the braziers, seeing the colors the night had turned, listening as I listened to the music, with their hearts on their tongues and their bodies in the grip of a force that dragged loose the ties between their cells. I played until my fingers were slick with sweat and blood, until grooves had been gored into my skin where I'd held down the strings too hard. I played until the piper came and took my hands away, pulling them off the filthy violin and smiling gently all the while. In the end, the mayor paid us enough for the piper to determine that we'd been told to stop. Everyone was cured. They didn't need me to play anymore. I bled through my gauze twice more before my fingers gave up trying to heal and remained as hot, red welts. Every time I practiced, it was the human music that came out. Jittering with disgust, I found us another plague town within hours, and we sprinted there as fast as our feet could take us. They didn't tell us to stop playing, and I didn't bother to try. The piper was quite right. Illness did walk for me, no matter what vessel it was in, and it would carry me too. I played for the carriers, and the disease, and the hosts, and when we had played our songs through, I found another town, and moved us on. It went on. We began to play duets. Sometimes I would save our money rather than buying food and turn our earnings around and around my fingers. The edge of a coin matched the edge of my music in this world. The metal dot fitted my recitatives with a hard point of punctuation. I turned the coin. I sat now on the human side, but I could flip over to the other face almost at will. Soon, I would stay there. Next time, I would play longer. Next time would be the time I didn't stop. On the last night, the piper said, Today, you cure me. Pick up your violin. I looked up from my perch on the log, one stick still in the fire and stirring ashes. I pulled one of my sleeves down, covering a hot sore that the last race through the trees had opened on my forearm. Me? Why? Why haven't you cured yourself? 
It knows my music too well. I will need yours to handle it. The piper set down her pipe and stood up, shaking out her dress. It's been a long time in coming. I think today should be the day. I tucked the violin under my jaw and plucked the strings, turning the tuning knobs carefully. I watched the piper as she added fuel to the cook fire. You've never cured me, you know, I said. Why should I have to cure you? I can make you do it, the piper said instead. But I don't think I need to. Once you start, I know you will not stop before I'm done. Now, play. I reached for my bow and drew it slowly across the strings, listening to the tone that emerged. My heart settled and stilled, finding the sound coming out was the other voice, stronger now than I had ever heard it before. It flowed between us, reaching out to grip the piper tight and dig for her entrenched illness. The piper swayed and lost her smile, feet pacing over the bank of the stream. With a lurch of the chest, I started a song, scratching the bow across the strings so the music jabbed into the air and made the vermilion body of the violin burn and glitter. The smell of the rosin grew heavy in the night air, and the light of the fire twisted the piper's shadow, glinting on the worn and shiny patches of her green dress. Lost in my music, I didn't hear the first cry, but the next made me look up. The piper wasn't swaying anymore. Her neck snapped back and forth, thrashed by the bend of her twisting spine. She followed the rhythm, but the movements were stark and stiff with pain, and through her long hair, her face bore a rictus smile. She heaved for breath, shrill whimpers escaping her clenched teeth, and her skin was drenched in a sick sweat that the firelight turned horribly red. She stumbled and staggered and fell, but I kept playing. Come on, I urged her. Back up. Yes, she rasped. I pulled the bow harder, and the hairs sheared across the strings, making the air wobble and spark. The piper let out a snarl of a sound and rose again to her feet on joints that shifted and shuddered, her clenched teeth standing out from her mouth, her neck hardening every tendon and every ligament above her green dress. I reached the end of a fugue and picked up a song that skittered through my aching arm and hummed deep down in the rot that ate into my leg. The song I'd played for the dancing cure. Slowly at first, My arm swayed back and forth to move the piper through her paces at a rate her bones could bear. In the firelight, I could see the boils on the piper's body bubbling and bouncing, and soon they came sliding down her arms to cling to the tips of her fingers, 
enormous berries bulging from a twig. They hung there, jiggling obscenely before dropping off and dancing across the ground towards me. Great lumps of mottled matter, the color of bruises and pearls, flowed out from under the hem of the piper's dress. Her body shed pounds of spoiled flesh, and a flood of gray and yellow ooze gushed out of her nostrils. The piper swayed and spun as the buboes pulled her, stronger than her music had once pulled me, her humors flushing and flowing through her body in time with the dart of my bow. In the plague villages, the people danced like human beings, but the piper rose off the ground. There was nothing healthy to hold her down. I played. The music had hooked something with a sickness so deep and so unflawed that it had to come out. I had lanced her and she would pour out everything that needed curing. She knew I wouldn't stop, and so did I. And so did the music, as it warped the night woods and made them radiant with tiny glittering sparks. The piper's face hollowed. A mass of pustules and dark tumors spun and jigged in front of me, heavier by far than the piper herself. More kept coming. White worms crawled through the mass and reeking vapors floated towards my face. I rebuked it with an arpeggio and the mass settled down, rolling itself into a ball and tumbling delightedly across the ground, leaving behind a trail of wet filth. It made a pirouette, twirling up into a cone to better sway and dip and dance. As I played, I watched the mass. It must be got rid of. The thought of it following me forever made my throat close. There was nothing in it to breathe, so it could not be drowned. It would have to be burned. That was fine, the music decided. Get it out, and then be rid of it. I played the mass over to the fire, and changed the song. Stabbing out a tripak to make the thing start to jump. It jumped and wobbled and leaped right into the fire before me its foulness rising to loom above me. The mass caught fast and blue, hot with the piper's grease, and it began to burn with a fishy, soiled smell. It danced in the flames, crackling and rippled with fire. The white worms charred and popped. It danced through the end. The flames bit deep into the mass, breaking it down, and when it was only a foot or two tall, the music ebbed back out of me. I let the song slow and stop, coming to a long halt with a deep drag of my elbow. I could smell the hair of my bow burning, not from the fire, but from friction. My hands were smeared with blood where the scars had reopened. I smiled. At last, I'd managed to play as long as I wanted to. For now. Lost without a tune, the remnants of the mass went limp and nearly doused the fire. I blew in fresh air 
and fed the fire pit a handful of dried twigs and grass to give the flames somewhere to climb. Once the flames were crackling again, I looked over at the lump of green fabric where whatever was left of the piper lay on the hard earth. The green dress was empty. I looked to the flames and spotted the ropes of burning hair and charred bone. I fed the fire all night long. At the first gleam of gray light filtering into the woods, I built up a bonfire with broken wood and canvas from the tent, and when it was higher than my head and burning hot as a sun in its center, I strapped my violin and the piper's pipe to my back, and I began the slow walk out to the main road. I left behind the food. I wasn't hungry. I left behind the green dress. I wasn't cold. There was a village in the north with an infestation of rats. The violin warm against my back. I mounted the road. Before I close out the show, I have an interesting note here from Charlotte, the author of the story. This was originally written as a response to a prompt about female leaders. It struck me as an opportunity to be a smartass with the literal leading of others, and also an opportunity to highlight how we have such different visions of what it means when a woman steals a child as opposed to when a man steals one. The Pied Piper story isn't mysterious even if it is an allegory for a crusade. Because as society, we know, quote-unquote, what happens when men take children. We believe that a man steals children to rape, kill, or sell them, or some combination of the three, whereas we expect a woman to steal children to nurture them, not corrupt them. We must know that women are not more merciful nor more nurturing than men by virtue of being women. But the unique position of the childless female taking an opportunity to reproduce by warping someone into a sequel to herself was an interesting and deeply depraved concept I wanted to tinker with. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you again to author Charlotte Steinecke. You can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and you can join the Facebook group or Discord server, all linked in the show notes. Go drink water and go get some sleep. Sweet dreams.